0: and welcome to environmental i'm mary i'm emma and i'm emily and we're college students who love learning about our earth and we're
1: eager to share our journey environmental is a radio show committed to blowing your mind with all things environmental we'll explore topics such as climate change pollution and sustainability join us for a 11 p.m existential crisis broadcasted at just 11 a.m for your convenience Okay, so today's topic is about fish and whales, and we're going to talk about how fish are impacted by humans and by climate change with our salmon enthusiast and special guest, Amy! Welcome to the show!
2: Hi, guys. Great. (laughs) Um, Do you want to say anything about yourself? Um, What makes you a a salmon enthusiast? Well, I guess I'll start off by saying that I'm an environmental
3: science major here at WSU Vancouver, and I'm minoring in zoology, so I guess I just have a very passionate love for animals, all of them. And um, I actually took a whole class about, like, Pacific salmon here at WSU, and it really sparked my interest for the the species and just like learning about how unique they are and how important they are to our ecosystem just really um drew me in and my dad and grandpa were fishermen growing up and I just always grew up around them
2: so that's just kind of what sparked my interest perfect awesome so if you could guess that's what our show is about fish
1: yes fish and salmon So um, we're kind of going to go over a little bit about, like, why fish are important and, like, why you'll kind of, by the end, you'll understand why we're even talking about them. Um, But why even focus on salmon in the first place, Amy? So um, salmon hold
3: a very high cultural, economic, and social value to our society, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, salmon are viewed as a keystone species. Um, this means that they have a huge impact on the um, ecosystems that they reside in. So, for salmon, they migrate from the river, which they are like born, to the ocean, and then back to the river where they spawn. Uh, they play a vital role in many ecosystems, from you know the ocean to the streams to our rivers. They they are prey for many predators like whales, seals, bears, and many other animals. But Not only do they do that, but they absorb nutrients from the ocean when they are, like, growing and just eating all of the food out there. And they come back and they deposit them, these nutrients, through their, like, excreting waste. And um, when they die, they deposit a lot of these nutrients to the rivers that are very vital for many um, organisms.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I saw in one class we talked about how, like, trees are salmon, Mm-hmm. Like, they yeah, just made that yeah. equation because of, like, you know, the bears eat the eat the salmon and they actually pull, like, will drag the salmon bodies up into the forest, eat them, or also the bears will poop in the forest and then that will make fertilizer for the trees and then just, like, helps that whole thing that you, like, wouldn't even think would help trees and that whole natural ecosystem. But
3: Yeah, it's pretty crazy how, like, big of an impact they have on, like, not even, like, like aquatic, yes, of course, because, you know, they live in the water. But terrestrial, like it's just mm-hmm. crazy how broad they're um,
0: just how broad they are like important to our ecosystems. And yeah. it's like crazy. like And how like immediately dependent, like the rest of like the ecosystem is on like their death pretty much. Yeah, crazy. yeah. Yeah. Sad, but crazy. The cer- it's the circle <laughs> of life. <guys>. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, so what prompted this? Um, was that we had an event on campus where we watched the Artificial Documentary by Patagonia. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Just um, It was a really good documentary. Mira um, and I watched it together and it just really illustrated really well what, what we're talking about. Um, it's available on Amazon and Prime and yeah. Amazon Prime and YouTube. <laughs> um, it's called Artificial and it's the Fish is an artificial... <laughs> um, it's a film <laughs> about people, rivers, and the fight for the future of wild fish and the environment that supports them. It ex- um, explores wild salmon slide towards extinction. Uh, the threats posed by fish hatcheries and fish farms and our continued loss of faith in nature. Oh my gosh. Dang. That's a big statement. <laughs> um, so... Um, I didn't take notes during it or anything because we decided afterwards to do this. But on their website, Patagonia has a frequently asked questions, um, which kind of summed up the documentary. So I'm just going to go through and and mention some to to cool. start us off. So, what is the difference between wild hatchery and fish farmed fish? So wild fish are spawned, born. Um, specifically adapted to thrive in the wild environment through natural selection, which ensures the most genetically fit individuals to survive and reproduce. A wide range of genetic and life history diversity allows wild fish to better survive the changing conditions and compromised habitat, um, which we'll talk about later. Hatchery fish are spawned and raised by humans um, (laughs) in artificial habitats, where um, a precisely controlled environment selects for domesticated traits, then released into the wild. Um, The hatchery fish are weaker and less able to survive in the natural environment or adapt to these changing conditions. They also tend to mature at a younger age and are smaller in size. Um, They threaten the wild fish through increased um, predation and competition for food and habitat during mass releases. And through interbreeding on the spawning grounds where they pass maladapted genes into the wild population, <laughs> oh. um, and then farm fish are domesticated and raised by humans to thrive in high density aquatic feed lots, often in public marine waters where they are raised to market size and harvested for consumption. Threaten wild fish with parasites, diseases, and pesticides used to control them and through competition and interbreeding during frequent escapes.
1: Oh, so there's a difference between farmed and hatchery fish. Yeah. So farmed, they just grow them until you can, like, serve them on a plate, essentially.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, just think of, like, a farm that's, like, in the water. So, like, they have these big nets. A farm
1: in the water? (laughs) Yeah, like, these big nets where they
3: just raise, like, the fish in and they're
2: just... Like confined to that area. Mm. They made the comparison to a chicken farm where mm. it's like all the chicks are just crammed into one oh, yeah. On yeah. going on the conveyor belts, you know, going into the grinder. Oh jeez. <laughs> <my laughs> <gosh. laughs> <laughs> and um, also in the documentary in Norway, a gentleman mm. w- uh, went into one. He, like, put on a scuba diving oh. outfit, <laughs> outfit, <laughs> equipment, and, like, took a GoPro and went oh my gosh. into it. And all the fish were, like,
0: diseased. Gross. It's really gross. Uh. And they, like, it's had, like, open, gaping wounds and infection. Yeah. And they, those are, like, the fish that they were, like, feeding to people, right? So yeah. Were, like, he was, yeah. like,
2: imagine if the mothers saw this. They would mm-hmm. not be feeding this to their children. Oh, my gosh. And they yeah. So that's. The, far, the farm fish. And so
0: farm fish, are they specifically raised, like, for eating, basically? Whereas hatchery fish are like, probably more for recreational?
3: Recre- yeah, oh, I okay. think hatchery fish are more for recreational and for, you know, trying to increase population numbers in, oh,
2: okay. you know, the wild. Mm. So... I didn't know that there was a the difference between hatchery and farmed, so that was interesting. Well, like,
1: if you buy eggs at the store, like, I always like to buy, you know, cage-free eggs mm-hmm. or, like, free-range mm-hmm. eggs, so if you Free think, range <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Free-range salmon? Free-range <laughs> salmon, yeah, so it's interesting to think about that, like... Yeah. like cage-free net, salmon? Cage-free <laughs> salmon, yeah. And I
2: feel like now, though, you can't really know, because if the hatchery fish are in the wild, they could still technically call the hatchery fish wild, but they could not eat... So who knows? Yeah, who's regulating this
0: marketing anyway? Um, so here I'll
2: just jump down to yeah, I have more questions. So who pays and manages for fish hatcheries? Since Mary just asked, (laughs) wow, Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) what a great segment.
2: Well, many people believe fish hatcheries are paid for exclusively with fishing licenses sales. Um, Funding sources actually include city and state general funds, electrical utilities, and a range of federal agencies. So technically, taxpayers um, and electrical rate payers, ordinary citizens, are footing the bill for the system that is driving wild fish to extinction. And it costs billions of dollars in the process. Hatcheries are managed by a variety of state, federal, tribal, and private non-governmental entities. So... You are paying for them hatcheries, right? Essentially, that was kind of another point they mm-hmm. made in the documentary. It's like we don't even know that we're funding these some of these bad yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Should I keep going? Yeah, keep going. Okay, okay so I'll, I'll I'll go jump back up to the top. So don't we need hatcheries to make up for habitat loss? So, while it's true that human activities, dams, development, resource extraction, have taken a toll on our rivers, science shows that wild fish, because of the generic and life history diversity, survive better than hatchery fish, even in severely compromised habitats. In fact, the presence of hatchery fish is often a limiting factor in the wild fish recovery which can leave large amounts of prime spawning and rearing habitat unused. As climate change further threatens cold water fish population, the diversity and adaptability of wild fish can be crucial for survival. So I know Amy, I think, is going to talk about more um, the impacts that climate change has on salmon. Um, But, yeah, that's...
1: So this just sums up and says that hatchery fish actually make it harder for wild fish to survive. Yes, crazy.
2: Like I mentioned before, the competition and just even just the like the space.
0: Mhm. So, so like the wild salmon are competing with like the hatchery salmon for yeah. like resources and stuff. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So then yeah.
2: So um and then to go off <laughs> to go off that won't fewer hatcheries mean fewer fishing po- opportunities? Um, so they basically said that wild fish population trend t- towards zero in the presence of hatchery fish. And hatchery fish, due to inbreeding, domestication, also trend towards zero over time. So even though current, like in the moment we might have a lot of fish, if we think about our future... We're going to end up not having any fish at all if we keep relying on hatcheries um, to populate the yeah. rivers.
1: So we're adding all these fish into the environment because, like, we eat fish, and there's like all of these cultural, economic meanings against like with fish. But then the wild fish suffer with hatchery fish.
2: Mm. Right, so putting more fish in the river results to fewer fish to catch, essentially, because the juvenile hatchery fish out, um, they they outcompete wild fish for resources resources and attract unnaturally high levels of predation, both from sheer numbers and through domesticated behavior. Um, Surviving hatchery fish can spawn with wild fish, reducing the offspring survival rate, of the mixed hatchery wild pairs by up to 50% in the first generation alone. In other wow. words, adding more hatchery fish frequently results in less total fish available for harvest. Mm-hmm. That kind of sounds like a
1: positive feedback, feedback loop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was worried that we weren't going to fit one into this episode. Yeah, was I was just <laughs> thinking about that. that. That was good. Nice. So um, yeah, so it was Emily just... surprised Emily didn't catch it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I also... Just want to add to that, so um, in addition to, um, like, wild salmon um, competing with hatchery salmon, um, and this also, like, is basically what you said, but it's also the case that um, hatchery salmon are just less, like, likely to survive in the wild mm-hmm. because, um, because of their genes. So if they're not um, born and raised in the wild, like, there are certain genes that won't turn on, which makes them, like, less fit to survive in that environment, basically
3: yeah and I will add to that um, Emily mentioned about like predation they like those genes aren't turning on and they're not learning like they're predators in the wild mm-hmm. so like every life stage of a salmon has so many predators like so many things eat salmon in like all of their life stages so when they are like not learning about those they're just gonna be a little, you know,
0: a little l- clueless, a little <laughs> naive when they're yeah. just traveling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like um, Emily said earlier, where that's basically like a form of domestication, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy.
2: So now that we know how hatcheries affect the salmon population, how does climate change affect the salmon population?
3: Man, that is a huge question (laughs) (laughs) and there's so much information about how climate change will affect salmon especially in our like region of the world Mm -hmm. um I just like there are like five species of salmon in our region there's like sockeye chinook chum pink and coho Coho, yes. Thank you, Mary. I was like, oh my gosh, what is the (laughs) fifth one? (laughs) And um, they will all be, you know, impacted by climate change. They have different life stages, and not different life stages, but different, um, I guess, ways of life, like Mm -hmm. how they, when they migrate, when they, like, adapt, and all of these different things. They just have different, I guess, norms, and um, each one will be impacted, like, separately. So, every life stage of a salmon has a specific habitat requirements that they need to ensure their survival, from being an egg to a little fry, you know, to being Mm -hmm. a whole adult migrating back to the, you know, to spawn. So, they're pretty picky throughout their life, and with climate change becoming more of a threat, it's important to acknowledge these impacts that it has on, like, water temperature, acidification, turbidity, and dissolved oxygen content. So, I, I don't know if you guys, like, know about this but with climate change obviously our air temperature is increasing Mm -hmm. and this is going to lead to all of our water to increase Mm -hmm. all the water temperature to increase and um, streams are going to see a big huge impact because they're not as deep as like the ocean or lakes so they're not stratified as much so um, they're going to increase more Mm -hmm. so salmon they need a certain level of like temperature within their stream so um actually i read this article that says if temperatures rise above 21 to 22 degrees celsius the distribution health and behavior of salmon are affected by this water temperature and it can inhibit migration and their breeding patterns so when salmon are beginning to migrate to the ocean they um go through like a physiological changes they need to like change how they
0: intake water mm-hmm. to and like excrete salt yeah and wow. um, cuz they're going from like a freshwater environment um and they're starting to like change so they can live uh, in a saltwater environment yes exactly wow i didn't there's realize that there's not many fish that can do yeah, that cool. either
1: you're usually like just a freshwater fish or just an ocean fish or <laughs> ocean yeah. fish saltwater fish and then there's <laughs> their um what's it called they're the and int- androminus yeah Yeah, so that means that they can live in both
2: wow
1: I
3: never thought about that yeah so it's really crazy that they they have so many changes in their life already that with climate change these effects are just gonna hit them everywhere Mm -hmm. and so um rising temperatures are likely to result in like thermal cues so um when salmon are like you know rearing they're growing up in the river they get these like cues to let them know that it's time to start migrating out into the ocean. So you know, they just make their little way down the streams into the rivers, but without these thermal cues, you know, like with rising temperatures in the streams, they're mm-hmm. not going to have those. And so it's going to be really detrimental to their life stages and how they are just living their life because they're not going to know when to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's going to affect many other organisms because they can't solely survive in freshwater i mean there are definitely some salmon who are landlocked and this is like they're like a whole nother breed it's like the chinook mm. they're like kokanee or something like that and they live in lakes so they are landlocked oh. there so they can breed but they can survive in those lakes but other species like chinook or chum or coho you know like they can't survive
1: in that those mm-hmm. like Area, I didn't even so know yeah. that there were landlocks, Sam. Yeah, I yeah. did I. Yeah. yeah so
3: it's cool. really interesting. Is
1: that uh like human imposed?
3: Yeah, I think that um humans, you know, like put them there in mm-hmm. like lakes. But honestly, they just ha- I think they just evolved to like being able to survive there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know much about how they were there or whatnot, but yeah.
2: Yeah. In artificial, they have a clip of an airplane <laughs> dropping fish into <laughs> a <Yes. list>. yeah. lake.
3: <laughs> this is actually so interesting. In my class, I learned about um, a species of trout, which is in the same like genus or family as p- our Pacific salmon. They're all like, salmonids. And um, Ooh. Ooh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> feel free to nerd yes. out as much <laughs> as you
1: want. Like, do not hold. That. Yeah, and so <laughs> they
3: humans us. Like, I don't even know when this was but we breeded a lot of I think it was rainbow trout we breeded, mm-hmm. we breeded a lot of them and we would take them into planes and you would just like they would just throw them out the <laughs> plane into these like lakes so for recreational fishing because you know people wanted to fish for trout and you know economics so you got to make the money so they just threw salmon out the window which is crazy <laughs> that is so like funny.
1: Isn't yeah, that yeah, related so to, like, the Mount St. Helens um, recovery oh. area? Um, I, I don't know if they did that specific Oh, I'm pretty sure action. they did that. <laughs>
2: they, they literally put the fish out the window, but part of the... <laughs> Maybe um, put
1: parachutes on them instead. Yeah, wait, do they, <laughs> yeah, wait no, do, do they put parachutes <laughs> on the No, no they just throw the them fish. out. <laughs> they just oh throw God.
3: them. Which, also, it really, like, makes me question how they survive. Because yeah. I know <laughs> when... Like, okay, how many hit the lake? And then how many <laughs> die from impact? And how many don't hit the lake? Like, I don't think that that
2: was an effective or, you know. Just imagine right, right. being down at that lake when <laughs> that happens. Getting hit with it a tr- trout. <laughs> it's raining. Trout. Um, so, that yeah, that was another one of the questions on the website. How quickly can wild fish recover when um, we restore a habitat and removed, like, a hatchery or a dam? So this kind of stems from the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Um, in May 18th, 1980. So it kind of showed the resilience of the salmon. Um, but first, the resilient, the results of hatchery removal vary from um, watershed to watershed depending on habitat condition and how much genetic damage the remaining wild fish population sustain from interbreeding with hatchery fish. Um, but it can happen fast. So on the Toodle River in Washington State... A Seven <laughs> years after the watershed was devastated by a volcanic eruption, Mount St. Helens, and the <laughs> resulting, um, sus- I don't know that word, cessation of the hatchery program, there were more wild winter steelheads spawning than any other lower Columbia tributary. In Montana, within four years of stopping hatchery supplementation, the rainbow trout population was up more than 800% and their total biomass had increased by a thousand percent. On the, uh, yeah. So, it, it just shows like it was lit- a volcano literally erupted and hot pyroclastic flow like killed everything in its path. Mm-hmm. And then in just a short amount of time, these little fish came back. Um, but of course, what did we do once we found out <laughs> that the this river could sustain fish? We we put took fish, them all, and we put no, we no, put oh, fish oh. back. Oh, <laughs> 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 sorry, we put we put hatchery fish back in it.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: So we we had a perfect opportunity to see how the wild fish c- could repopulate and re- sustain itself, but we couldn't. We didn't let it because we just we uh, repopulated it.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was um, <sighs> an interesting point that the documentary made, which is that like nature knows what to do and if you give it the chance it will do it and the best thing that we can do the best thing that we can do is just get out of its way
2: yes oh yeah he yeah he said um so my favorite like the one thing I took from that was by simulating life that took millions of years to diversify is a violent
1: act on life itself (laughs) Um, She's waving, like, this pen around in the I'm, air Yeah, I'm <laughs> waving my fist. As, like, a scepter of, like, <laughs> demanding <laughs> action.
2: So, essentially, we are devolving fish.
0: Gasp. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, mm-hmm. anyways. Um, I also, this is off topic, but I want to go back to something that um, Amy said about how, like, the warming um, river temperatures will affect like the development of the fish and the, like, their migration patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think someone, I think you were gonna men- mention this as well, but um, because salmon are such an important, play such an important role in the Northwest that their um, migration patterns, ch- th- those changing is going to affect like all the other species. Um, the
2: keystone. Yes. Yeah. The keystone Well,
0: they are the keystone species.
3: Yes. So they will affect the whole ecosystem. Yes. All of the ecosystems. We really depend on salmon, and it's really sad to see their decline. And knowing that it's from us just makes me feel terrible. Keeps me up at night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, oh. You're probably You're
3: exi- not choking.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> <I'm> not <laughs> to <existential>
2: Crisis <laughs> at 11 p.m.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. Did you have more to add, Amy? I'm Um, sure you do.
3: Yeah. I mean, I could talk about salmon all day, like, really. Um, So I think another crucial thing that climate change is going to affect is our um, precipitation patterns. So we're going to see less snowpack, and so we're going to see more snow melt of, like, glaciers. And when we do get snow, it's going to start melting earlier, and that's going to... you know, it's going to like the runoff from that is going to increase our peak flows. So our peak flows in our river. So obviously we're going to see more flooding in mm-hmm. like spring and uh, winter flooding really um, from precipitation. So that is going to affect the the velocity of our streams and the amount of water. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to affect turbidity and Um, of the water so it's going to make it really cloudy and um, the sediment is just going to be like you won't be able to see through and salmon really like clear waters they don't like turbidity at all Um, they need big gravel like pebbles kind of to build their reds which is um, their nest where they put their eggs so it's going to really affect spawning it's just going to destroy the stream floor so Hmm. as climate change like changes our precipitation we're going to have higher peak flows and we're also going to have lower low flows so like at late summer you know early fall we're going to be like experiencing hotter days and our streams are going to be like dried up and that once was like a native spawning ground is not going to be there because of the water level is going to be gone and salmon won't be able to reach it and that's actually happening a lot of places where they will be able like when they're migrating back to their spawning grounds, they can make it like so far, but then there's a strip of no water and they won't be able to reach their actual spawning ground. And it's going to have to like, they're either going to have to stray, which is mean going to another site to breed, Mm -hmm. or they're just going to die. And so, Mm. yeah, it's going to be really sad.
1: What um, seasons do they usually migrate back?
3: So it really just depends on the run. Um, they usually spawn in fall, so they migrate from anywhere from spring. Just de- It really depends on how far upriver they're going. Yeah. So, you know, they gotta have time to... But that's like through
1: summer sometimes, yeah, yeah. and then fall, yep. which is the exactly. time you're talking about when the river will be yeah. really low.
3: Yep, and then they'll go back to um, the the ocean, like in like late fall, in the winter, um, and... You know, that's going to be really detrimental because, yeah, we're going to have a lot of rain. So there's going to be a lot of water in the uh, river, but it's going to be like hard for them because it's going to push them out of the um, the rivers. And during that time, like when the little eggs are hatching, they need to stay well, depending on the species, they need to stay in the river or an estuary for a certain amount of time before they can go out into the ocean. Because, mm-hmm. like Mary and I were talking about, they need to change. They need to physiologically, like, change their bodies so the way they intake salt and excrete water and their urine and all of these things that they have to go through. So, it's going to really be impacted by um, changes in um, precipitation, snow or rain. And so,
0: yeah, it's really crazy. Yeah. Salmon are like such a crazy like there's like oh um, I mean I don't know, but like almost no other species that will literally like can be change like its biology and physical structure to like adapt to a completely different environment. like that's
3: yeah that's it's so really amazing. crazy. Yeah. And a really interesting fact is when they're on their way back to spawn, they use all of their energy. they don't eat, they don't like do all the normal things they literally just go straight back to their spawning grounds. They will literally, like, decay on the way back to their grounds to spawn <laughs> just so they can get back there. They don't even think about, like, eating or anything. It's like, crazy to me. Like, they wow. store so much, like, energy reserves in the ocean that they're just like, yep, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm going to stop eating now, and I'm just going to travel back, like, weeks without food just so I can, you know, reproduce. And it's mm-hmm. it's really crazy.
2: yeah.
0: Um, Fun fact, salmon have a super good sense of smell, which is how they um, find their way back home um, Mm. when they're ready to spawn and die.
1: Yeah. Um, I have something to mention with that. Um, I was in my internship, like, last week, and some guy that's working there, Chris, um, he used to work with salmon and did, um, like, salmon counts, and he just kind of talked about a lot of, like, roast stuff of like picking up dead salmon decaying salmon um but he said that they would like open up the like dead salmon and maybe like count eggs and things like that but um he was saying that made me have a thought that it smells so bad (laughs) (laughs) like and the, the the females fish um like just the specific like egg juices and like all of that specifically (laughs) smells like extremely bad and that he said it was like staining and like soaking through his like the like gloves and that even if you like washed the gloves it like wouldn't get rid of the smell and he said like even just like tons of washes and tons of bleach it like would not get rid of the smell and i was like hearing him talk about this while knowing this about salmon like have this really good sense of smell and i was just like (laughs) Hypothesizing that, like, maybe you know, that's the like smell that they're smelling, it just like, gets all over the rocks and stuff, (laughs) and then they like go back and smell, and then they know where to go, yeah, (laughs) like, ah, stinks over there, yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) That's my home. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: going back to what Mary said about how they have such a good sense of smell, um. So with climate change, ocean mm-hmm. acidification is definitely like its partner in crime. And with climate change like in ocean acidification becoming like worse, ocean acidification is actually going to inhibit their smelling and so oh it's no. gonna Yeah, it's gonna affect their olfactory senses. Oh. And it's yeah, I just read a study this morning actually, um, about <laughs> <laughs> how um they like they will produce this like a predator will produce like this scent in the water that um salmons will be able to smell and so they can like like you know, get away from them, like it's their behavioral um mm. just h- how they learn I guess. I don't know. But the they predator smell it. yeah the
1: ha- makes a smell. Yeah, the predator and the f- pr- salmon can smell it. Yeah, and okay. the salmon can
3: smell it so they can get away. But with like rising acidification well, I guess yeah, as acidification gets worse in the yeah. sea, mm-hmm. um, they won't be able to smell those smells. So they won't be able to smell that like scent that the predator gives off and so they're gonna be you know even more dumb well not dumb <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just thinking about hatchery fish you know like hatchery fish are gonna be out there and they're not gonna be able to smell the predator. shark
2: <laughs> yeah like oh
3: hey there's a whale you know he's gonna come eat me <laughs> like oh the yeah they're just gonna be naive i mean i don't know like with wild salmon they're just gonna face more predation from acidification getting worse <laughs> so
0: sad oh my gosh these poor salmon you guys Take out your wallets and go donate to (laughs) the fish and wildlife (laughs) people right now.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yes. Um, So, if we're feeling helpless with the salmon, what can we do to to decrease our (laughs) impact? Um, So, some of the suggestions that Patagonia has um, was how to eat salmon without supporting hatcheries or these net pen fish farms, um, which is possible, um, but there are some rules of thumb that allow us to buy and eat salmon responsibly. So don't buy <laughs> Atlantic salmon and steelhead, which are, for the most part, either farmed in net pens or harvested from endangered populations. And In the documentary, they, one of the net pens broke... And like all these Mm -hmm. Atlantic salmon, who are just running around in the Pacific, (laughs) so it's basically (laughs) like a invasive species Mm -hmm. that was yeah, because
3: they're carrying all these diseases and everything. So the native Atlantic Atlantic salmon are definitely going to be impacted by that. That's really gross.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so like then, not only are like the Pacific Wild salmon competing with the Pacific hatchery salmon. <gasps> now they have to oh compete with the Atlantic salmon. Uh, Jesus, so. guys. Anyways, uh, yeah, don't
2: don't you dare buy an Atlantic don't salmon. You
0: dare?
1: <laughs> Do you think they would like? So, like, if they raise the Atlantic salmon in net pins in. Alaska or something? Do you think they would advertise it as Atlantic salmon or well,
3: Atlantic salmon? They like that's like East Coast. They mm-hmm. live over there. So yeah. um, Alaska has all of the Pacific salmon or sam- salmonids, and um, so they have like there are healthy populations of all of these species in Alaska. A lot of them are in Alaska actually, and I mean obviously there are some that are just like populations are just like endangered and are on the brink of extinction or have gone extinct so um i think um i saw that on here that pink salmon are they are the most abundant species so if you really cannot stop eating salmon try and eat pink salmon because Mm -hmm. they're in Alaska they're not listed on the Endangered Species Act oh. and um, they're like completely off of it in Alaska. I don't know about Washington but I read on the Alaska Fishing Game website that they aren't on the ESA wow. yet. Oh, so okay. if you are interested in salmon go for the pink salmon mm. <laughs> but stay away from Chinook or sockeye because those are really the ones that are in most danger and mm. coho.
1: And that's something to Note as well is that like we are literally eating a species that is on the endangered species act. Yeah, that yeah. Is which endangered. is like, really, that's it's like one crazy of the only ones I think that we eat or harvest that's on listed by the ESA. Yeah, yeah. it's
3: really crazy. I just did a presentation in um, my political science class that I have with Emma actually, and oh man, doing that research was crazy because we did about the. Endangered Species Act and the changes that the Trump administration wants to um, change about this act. And then I, and everybody in my group, really, well, we had a big influence. We wanted to talk about salmon and how that's going to affect salmon in our region. And it's honestly crazy. And um, I'm just going to mention that the Trump administration wants to, well, they proposed to have like regulators don't have to look at climate change as a threat to oh salmon. So they don't gosh. have to look at those threats and they don't have to take into account the projections of the impact that climate change will have on
1: them. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of current events yeah. for you. Yeah.
2: Um And another thing you could do if you don't know if it's pink or yellow or (laughs) is to ask your (laughs) to ask your fishmonger, (laughs) chef or server, where their salmon is from and how it was caught. This may lead to further confusion, but encourages support for responsible fisheries and allows seafood eaters to make better choices. So don't be afraid to be that episode of Portlandia where they ask where the chicken is local what its name was for its papers, how many acres <laughs> it had to
1: roam. Because that all papers. applies to salmon too.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what its name was. What it, What its name was. Sammy. Sammy the salmon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: say you're where should we buy salmon that do buy salmon from.
2: Um, yes. Yeah. So actually, like, Amy mentioned um, there's wild salmon harvested from well-managed hatchery, hatchery-free fisheries, um, so the sockeye salmon from Bristol Bay, Alaska, or um, reef net caught pink salmon from Lummi Island, which is in Washington. Cool. So. Um,
1: And then just today in class, my oceanography class, he um, showed us this handout from the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Program. And they have consumer guides listed state by state of um, recommendations of what seafood, um, including salmon, that you should or should not eat. Um, So... Um, just look up Seafood Watch Program and then you can just click on like Washington or Oregon, California and kind of get an idea of some other because obviously it's not just salmon. Salmon are the most important but there's a lot Mm -hmm. of other fish um, that we maybe should be eating less or should be more considerate of how we eat. Like tuna. If you're
2: you're wondering how to change your diet you can (laughs) check out our um, meatless episode. That's Available on all streaming platforms.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because if you don't eat fish anyways, you don't have to worry about it.
3: Yep. Yeah. I don't eat fish. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Are I you think I tried?
3: No, I I just, grew, like, I don't know. I just don't like the taste of fish. I've tried it.
1: But you love fish, and you're currently I, wearing yes. a salmon hat right and now. And a shirt. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. do not like the taste of salmon. Yes. Okay. So I don't
3: like the taste. <laughs> I don't like how it smells. So <laughs> I, just, I just stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's easy.
1: Right. Yeah. If you don't like it, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like
3: it, it's easy. I mean, salmon is also really expensive. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're not recreational fishing it, then how do you buy that? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: how do you afford that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Um, well, I guess I can talk about some dams.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: okay. let's dams. Ooh. Okay. Um, so, dams are an issue as far as salmon migration goes. Um, if anyone's taken um, like the intro bio classes here at WSU or our, our envi- environmental science major, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the lower um, Snake River dams. Yeah. Um, So there are basically these four dams in the Lower Snake River that are being questioned for removal. Um, And they are the Ice Harbor, Lower Monument, Little Goose, and Lower Granite (laughs) Dams, which are located between the confluence with the Columbia and Idaho border. Um, So why are dams bad for salmon? Basically, they get in the way of their migration. Um, and so with these dams, they have spent billions of dollars trying to um, improve the migration of the salmon so that they can get through the dam. Mm-hmm. Turns out, it's a waste of money. <laughs> <'Cause> it's not <laughs> oh working. <my. laughs> yeah, there's a lot of
3: different ways. Like fish ladders, like we all hear about. Fish elevators. Fish elevators they actually
0: have a bypass
3: system where you they capture a bunch of fish. Salmon and mm-hmm. put them on a semi truck, yeah. just yeah. drive them around, and just <laughs> drop them off, and
0: then yeah, yeah. which yeah. like the efficiency of that plus <laughs> your carbon emissions uh. is that an electric powered bus? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. <laughs> um, my favorite uh, form of salmon transportation is uh, the cannon. The salmon <laughs> oh, cannon, oh, is a personal yes. favorite of mine. Um, they and it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> they shove a salmon in a cannon <laughs> and shoot it off onto the other <laughs> side of well, the Well, So you can
1: drop them from airplanes. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised at this point it's, that you can shoot them from cannons.
0: It's <laughs> actually
3: really interesting. It's called whoosh. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's called whoosh. <laughs> what? There's, I actually, when I took my salmon class, there was this grad student, um, I think, in Tri Cities, mm-hmm. and she was like, well, we were all like video conferenced into. Um, This professor that was in Puyallup, her name's Jennifer McIntyre. She's awesome, Um, and she actually this grad student was a part of like a whoosh trial, and she showed Mm. us that like these, um, it's basically like a long tube that they put the fish in. Like someone has to manually grab the fish, put Mm -hmm. it in, and it shoots them over. The tube doesn't hurt them. Hurt them? It's like one of those tubes that they use at like a uh, like a produce like like. I don't know, like, industry that they put the produce in and then it, like, it's really bouncy and the produce doesn't get damaged. So the salmon uh, aren't getting hurt when they're getting shot through this cannon, you know? Okay, so it's ethical. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
3: so they thought about it. Okay, (laughs) good. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) They are still being shot over
0: this dam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so as interesting as these... um, ideas are they are still not super effective. Um, In the Columbia River there um, used to be 16 million fish. Today there's about 1.1 million salmon. Yeah so and shame. Yes so not only is this a problem for the salmon of course but it's also a problem for the orcas. uh, chin- a lot of Chinook salmon go through the um, Lower Salmon River, and Chinook salmon also happen to be the primary source of food for um, orca whales, and um, so the orca whale population are actually um, dropping like, because of the fact that there are not enough Chinook for them to eat because of the dams, and also a lot of other reasons but yeah.
1: Mostly human caused so. Yeah. Yeah. Primarily human caused.
3: I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I think I read like an article that the orca population there's like one like one pod off of our coast Mm -hmm. that hasn't like like had a baby and like five to ten years or something and yeah. the last baby they had like it died and the mom carried it around yeah. for like it, yes. this like, for, like, is like weeks.
1: a newsworthy story of mm-hmm. like when there's a baby orca because yeah. their numbers are so low that they're like constantly watching like hoping for a baby orca yeah mm-hmm. that's so sad
0: yeah and actually just recently um, well actually just recently a baby was born so that's good and they've been monitoring it oh. and I think it's been doing well um, so that's good, but then also, um Orca whales are like the mother basically like passes down the information to the younger generations. Um, and actually like one of the like mamas just died, so they're worried about like, um like, who, like, where are they going to get all, of, like, the information that they need to survive if, like, their main source of information also died, too, so. Oh,
3: my gosh. Do you know if, like, the, like, other pod members, like, help, <laughs> you know, like, give them that yeah. They're pretty communal, yeah. so
1: I would I would guess so. Yeah. yeah. That's
3: what
2: I was thinking, too. Um, So I think what you're talking about is the southern resident killer whales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they also touched on this about how they're obviously being impacted by ha- uh, hatchery fish um so the I don't know exactly what this was but someone determined that more hatchery fish would provide relief for s- s- these starving orcas um but that's not necessarily the case um because as we know the you know, increasing numbers of hatchery fish would be of little benefit to the southern resident killer whales um, because their domestic their domestication, um, they're just smaller. They're they don't really meet the calorie requirements for orcas, um, and this, you know, as we all talked about earlier, they're just they're weeding out the wild salmon that the orcas do need. Um, so the only immediate way to provide more food for the southern resident killer whales would to reduce open ocean harvest or um, currently the ocean fishery off the west coast of Vancouver Island alone takes 70% of the Chinook's large salmon um, enough to benefit the orcas. So moving, fish, um, moving fisheries to river mouths and employing selective harvest techniques in the future would allow humans to continue to harvest while increasing the number of large Wild Chinook available for orcas.
3: I, I don't know if you mentioned that this, but um, with, like, orcas and the thought of hatchery fishes, like,
2: mm-hmm.
3: helping them, you know, hatchery fishes are significantly smaller than mm-hmm. wild yeah. um, salmon, which yeah. we touched upon, and they're going to need to eat more hatchery salmon than they yeah. would than a native, like, wild salmon. So, I think that's also a very important point to point out, and I don't know if you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so it was just saying if we if we lose the fish, we, we lose, lose the, the whales.
0: Orcas. Um so keep that in mind. And one point that I just want to make is that like, you know, the um, the Pacific Northwest salmon and the southern resident orcas are really um iconic in this region. They are like our mascots pretty much and um, I just think it's kind of ironic that like Washington also prides itself on its like love of nature um, and yet like our two like most iconic animals are um, endangered in our risk of extinction mm-hmm.
2: um, I don't know what,
0: what it was
2: but I know Washington is still one of the only states that allows a certain like I think I don't know if it's open net or yeah. some negative hatchery Way of fishing is still allowed in Washington. Isn't so wh- it
0: like the in ocean like farming like or whatever net pen or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's like why? Why are we even still allowed? I know, and yeah.
0: l- I think that's yeah. surprising for like Washington and right. all places. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, going
3: back to net pens, it you know they're not just bad for salmon; they are bad for like the ecosystem around it. Like, you know, the salmon they're kept in one area, and this pen like. That means they're excreting their waste mm. in this pen, and that's going to fall down to the bottom of that pen. Mm-hmm. It's a net pen, so it's going to fall down through to the, the net. Yeah, through yeah, the net, through the, yeah. and this is going to create anoxic zones because bacteria is going to, you know, eat all of the little, I waste guess, the waste. Particles. Yeah, the waste particles, and then the bacteria population is going to increase and then they're going to take up more oxygen under those area and then the bacteria is going to die and and it sounds like a positive positive feedback loop oh yes Uh. so it's terrible get rid of these net pens in washington (laughs) well let's start a petition amy do you have any final thoughts
1: I mean, salmon. this is a huge issue, just, like, I knew this was a big issue, but, like, the more that we've talked about it, I feel like we yeah. could, like, go on and on and on. Oh, totally. I could go on for
3: hours. <laughs> like, I'm probably going to go and just find one of my friends. I'm just going to be like, i, I got to talk about salmon. i just got to get this out. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, um, well.
1: Yeah, if you're, I don't know, make sure to watch that artificial documentary. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it yet, so that's yeah, it's it's really on interesting.
2: on YouTube. It's on YouTube. <laughs> And Amazon and Netflix. Too bad,
3: it's not on Netflix. No, okay. It's free on YouTube, though. Cool. So yeah, you don't awesome. have to have the, you don't have to have Prime to get it. It's yeah. free. Watch it on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Don't mm. support Amazon. No excuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And yeah, there's actually. also another
1: one. Damnation. Uh, Damnation. is oh the, my gosh. Like
0: pre prequel it came before artificial okay Mm. so that was more
1: about dams i'm assuming that one's
0: on netflix
3: oh it is that one's on netflix (gasps) at least i watched it on netflix a few years ago
0: for my class
1: yeah it's a good one these are huge issues and there's definitely so much more that like you could talk about this yeah
3: Mm
2: -hmm. everything's controversial (laughs) well thank you so much amy for joining (laughs) us thank Thank you for having me it was great um so yeah if you'd like to follow us on our facebook our Instagram environmental pod or environmental we will have um, resources and we also post our live episodes so you can stream at your latest convenience so thank you so much for tuning in
0: Go and follow Amy on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, do you, Amy, do you
2: need to plug
1: anything? <laughs> uh, I mean... What's your Instagram?
3: Oh, it's just Amy Reich, but my name's spelled <laughs> weird. It's A-I-M-E-E-R-I-K-E. Two Great. E's. Yeah,
2: Yep, two E's. <laughs> awesome. See you next time, guys. Bye.